I'm just curious. Um, I'm going to start off with a little question I want to ask you. Were you by any chance chosen most likely to succeed? You remember that in those yearbooks, uh, most likely to succeed? Just curious. It, it's, don't be embarrassed. Uh, can I see your hands if you were? You were you, okay. You, you were. Okay. Don't, you don't have to tell me what happened after that. What, uh, <laughs> um, anybody else? Nobody, neither was I. I was not chosen most likely to succeed. Now, I always wondered, you know, what, what is it that you're most likely to succeed at? Because, you know, like if the question was, are you, who's most likely to be a real misfit or a jerk in life? Well, I'm, I might qualify for some of that, you know. But as far as succeed, succeed at what? And it brings me to something that I realized early on as a Christ follower is that most people that you and I will ever meet, and tragically what I learned early on as a follower of Christ is that even within the church context, the vast majority of people, if they were asked the question, what is your purpose in life? And let's just kind of look at that. What is the purpose of your life? Gather the best and the brightest. Gather the people you work with, people in your neighborhood. Gather your friends, your family, and ask this question. What's the purpose of your life? Why are we here? What does it mean? What, what is the purpose of our life? And what you will find is that people will give you all kinds of answers. Many who don't even know what to say. Most of the answers will sound something like, well, you know, to be happy and just kind of not hurt anybody or something like that. But then I found that, like I say, as an as a early on Christ follower, the Christians didn't have a clear answer to this. And we of all people should be able to say very quickly, this is the purpose of my life. I know exactly what the purpose of my life is. The purpose for my life is the same as the purpose for your life, at least to some degree. And it's stated very clearly in various ways in God's word. Now, for you that have been around this church for a long time, you know what I'm about to say. But I say this because I want you to have in your mind, in your heart, clarity about this. I want you to know every day of your life what the purpose of your life is. I want you to know when you're in the best times in your life what the purpose of your life is. I want you to know when you're in those mediocre times, still you have clarity what the purpose of your life is. And when you hit those rock bottom, hard, difficult times where your heart is breaking, your mind is shredding, you're not sure what's going on, it is very critical then that you know what is the purpose of your life. Now before I show you the answer that I've given for decades now, what would you answer? What is the purpose of your life? Do you know with crystal clarity? Because Scripture gives us a crystal clear answer. Here it is. I try to shrink it down in the, the easiest, smallest, memorable phrase. Here it is. Become who God created you to become and do what God created you to do. That's it. That is the purpose for your life and your life and your life and your life and my life. Each of us. I am here. It is, it, is a, it is a time where I'm supposed to be in a process. Life is a process where I'm supposed to become the human being. I'm not supposed to become like you, and you're not supposed to become like me. Aren't you glad of that one? You don't have, you don't have to. <laughs> but I am supposed to become who God created me to be. And I am supposed to do what he created me to do. Now, you can't separate the two. The two flow together. You, you always have to be doing to become, and you have to have an element of become in order to do. But nevertheless, this is the purpose of your life. How many of you think you could remember this? When somebody asks you again, you get in a room full of people, and people are talking about what's the purpose of life, you'd be able to say, I know the purpose of my life. The purpose of my life is to become who God created me to become and to do what 
God created me to do. How many think you, you, you could tuck that one away? And if you haven't got it tucked away, you might want to take a little note and just take it home and once a week look at it. It will serve you well. There's lots of conversations that it opens up. Now, this means then, this next phrase, God's purpose is that our life is meant to be a developmental journey towards, what does it say? Christ-likeness. My life is a process. My life is a journey. It's a developmental journey. We're not talking about working our way toward acceptance with God. No, 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 no. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, though, that in this journey, in this developmental journey, hopefully the time comes where we put our trust in Christ, our creator. We become his follower, and then from that point, we start to grow. We start to develop. We were made in the image of God. The image of God in us was marred when we broke trust with God in the Garden of Eden. Sin has marred at work. God is in a restoration process once he gains our trust again so once we have trust in Christ then this is where we're at God's purpose is that our life is meant to be a developmental journey towards Christ likeness this means that every single day of your life every single circumstance of your life is filled with purpose you and I will never find a place in our life or an experience in our life that is purposeless or meaningless as long as we keep this in mind because in any circumstance that you and I are ever in I can progress to become more like Christ it's about decisions Kim mentioned the power of decisions a few weeks back all right well this series is very much about this developmental journey and the truth be told <laughs> that it might be interesting to ask you how many of you that are here today if people who knew you let's say I don't know I don't know how old all of you are but let's say they knew you in your early years whatever that may be for you would have never predicted or thought that you would be sitting in a place like this on a Sunday morning with your heart and mind opened and interested how many people that would have known you from before would never have predicted you would be in a place like this at this time just curious how many I guarantee you the people that knew me up until age 23 would have never, never dreamt uh, that I would be in a situation like this. So what this should tell us is this. It, it doesn't matter as much as it may seem to about our early origins. We, we will always have people in our lives, and some of you, this is going to be the whole message for you. We'll always have people in our lives that want to, to imprison us with our past. Whatever we once did, whoever we once were, they will try to imprison us there. They'll never let us move forward. They'll never see us any differently at all. And it can be a very painful thing to try to overcome. But that is not the way the creator of the universe, it is not the way the judge of all souls sees human beings. He sees us in this journey, in this developmental process. And in the process, he is for us. He is not against us. He looks to restore us, not to condemn us. And so maybe the whole message for some of you is that certain people have tried to pin you to your past pin you to a past image pin you to some mistake you've made in your life and a loving God is here this morning it's going to be here for the next six weeks to remind you again and again and again that even though you and I may have had some questionable beginnings and, and maybe we have let, let's get real serious for a moment Maybe we have some very, very serious regrets. We've got the kind of regrets that haunt us at times and shake us to the core. 
the God who knows us, the God who is for us, the God who sacrificed himself on a cross with full knowledge of who we are and what we've done. That God is here and for the next six weeks in particular wants to remind us again and again that we're in a developmental journey and even though our early beginnings may not have been what we would have wanted them to be, that has nothing to do with who you are destined listen you are destined to become there is a beautiful christ-like version of yourself that you have been destined from all eternity to become and god wants to help each of us in this life for that beautiful christ-like image of ourselves to to progressively emerge and be visible and be a blessing to everyone that encounters it so that's kind of the gist of this series now this is going to be tough in this regard it, it deals with some people in the scripture and when you're taking narratives of people's life in scripture there may be many 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 chapters about them and you know I'm trying to compress all this in a very short period of time doesn't feel short to you sometimes I'm sure but it feels short to me a very short period of time in a talk so we're going to look at a guy today that uh, many of you are familiar with and his name is Jacob now remember remember the, the, the whole thing started with Abraham you know God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees he's living there he's wealthy he's prestigious he's 75 years old he's an idol worshiper just like everybody else in Ur of the Chaldees Sumerian community very sophisticated the Sumerians are a mystery to this day about where did all their scientific knowledge and mathematical knowledge and astronomical knowledge come from but anyway he's called by God he says Abraham if you'll leave leave it all man leave your family leave your homeland and and come follow me that's the way God always talks trust me come follow me then I'll take you Abraham and I'll make you into a great nation and I'll make you a blessing to the whole earth and I'll bless you personally and your name will be great and Abraham trusts God a God that he had no Bible to know about a God that that he didn't have anywhere near the understanding of that you and I have today he threw it all away he left it all behind and he becomes this God follower so now if you're going to become a great nation you have to have some kids and of course Abraham goes 25 years before God supernaturally allows he and Sarah to have a child they have a child his name is Isaac and then Isaac at age 60 has a child, a son, two of them, Jacob and another one named Esau. And that's where our story picks up. The boys are twins that look nothing alike. How many of you in here have a twin but you look nothing like? I know Kim does. A twin but you look nothing like them. Okay, so not all twins are identical. Esau, the scripture says, was a, a hairy red man, okay? Jacob, it says, was smooth skin. Uh, so go figure it says that when they were born Esau was first he was the elder son and when he came out of the womb his, bro his brother Jacob was clutching onto his heel like he was trying to pull him back and his name the name Jacob and it's disputed you look up the Hebrews you know the Hebrew of his name and all that sometimes it's, it's called the supplanter the trickster the deceiver the name Jacob or it could really just mean the heel grabber which is what he was at birth Edom uh, Esau's name Edom it just means red he's just like no you, how many of you have ever known a guy named red kind of a nickname but that's what, what his brother's name was anyway that's where that's where our story starts so it's going to be a little difficult I'm going to have to jump from scripture to scripture I can't possibly read you multiple chapters and so I kind of want to just pick up where we can so let's go now to uh, our first section of scripture Genesis 25 is where the story starts 
The Lord said to her, the her is Rebekah, the mother of these two. Two nations are in your womb. This is while she was pregnant. They were jostling around even in the womb, as Scripture says. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve. What does it say? Now, that was a switcheroo. In the way that God had set things up, the firstborn got the birthright. The firstborn got the blessing. The birthright, the blessing, they're kind of together. It meant that, you know, the work that God started in Abraham to reveal himself to people and through people. Abraham, remember, was ultimately promised he'd become a nation. It's the nation of Israel that God reveals himself to. They write down the record of God's dealings with them, and then he reveals himself through their writings to the rest of the world. So the blessing... And the birthright was to be given to the firstborn. And they got a little bit more of the property as well. But more importantly, they were the one that were going to carry the blessing of God to the world. They were going to have a unique blessing of God upon themselves. But this switches it up. And by the way, this is God's prophecy. And Rebecca hears this. The mother hears it. And Isaac, the father, hears it. The boys don't hear it yet. They're just, you know, in the womb. But God says the younger is to be the leader. Now, why would God do this? God has something that we can't quite understand, except unless you record football games like I do, then you kind of understand it a little bit. He has something called foreknowledge. See, I record all the Redskins games. Oh, they're not the Redskins anymore. Are they? They're the Washington football team. I record all the Washington football games, and then I try not to hear the score, and then I go home and I watch a three-hour game in one hour because I can fast-forward through the commercials. How many of you do that? So technically, technically, if you listen to the game live, you could come and tell me the future, so to speak, because it's all future for me. I haven't seen the game. You could tell me the Washington football team loses, as they commonly are prone to do. <laughs> and, and you could even tell me the exact score and how it happens. Now, here's the question. You have foreknowledge. You saw it. I haven't saw it. I'm still waiting to see it. Did you cause them to lose? No. You just saw it in advance. God has foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is not causation. God doesn't cause us to do things. He doesn't cause Esau to become a man who, frankly, is not a bad guy at all, but he has no spiritual interest. But he did know that Jacob of the two, though he was a rascal in his origin, in his beginnings, that he was the more spiritually minded man, that he was the one that would be able to handle the responsibility of taking on the blessing of Abraham and finally becoming the hub of the nation of Israel. What we'll see in this talk, that God eventually changes his name. So here they start out. Now, I've got to fill in some blanks because where I, where I go from their birth here, I'm going to have to fill in about 71 years. So here's what essentially happens. Evidently, Rebecca starts trying to help God fulfill this thing. She wants her young boy. She favors Jacob from the start. Isaac, he favors, favors Esau from the start. E Esau becomes this hunter-fisher kind of a guy, an outdoorsman, and Isaac loved that because he would bring him, you know, home game, and he would cook him up stew, and, you know, he really got off on the stew, I guess. And, and Jacob was just kind of a calm, you know, uh, contemplative sort of a guy who hung around the house a lot. Now, at one point... Esau comes in from a hunting trip and he's starving he's famished and he says to his brother Jacob he says man make, make me some stew because Jacob is already at home kind of cooking some stew he says give me some of that stew and Jacob says to him he says uh, yeah I'll give you some stew if you give me your birthright 
And Esau says, birthright, smirthright. Who cares? I'm starving. If I die, it's not going to matter anyway. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got the birthright. So here's Jacob already being the trickster, being the deceiver, being somebody that's, that's always looking for an angle. Later on, once again, Isaac thinks that he's dying. It's kind of a humorous thing because the man lives another 80 years, but he thinks he's dying and he's lost his sight. So he calls Esau and he says, Esau, you know, fix me up some of that stew you make that I like so much so that I can give you the blessing. You know, Jacob had already stolen the birthright, but he still wanted the blessing. So Rebekah hears this, and as Esau goes out, she tells Jacob, she says, okay, come, come here. Here's what you got to do. Let me put these animal skins on your arms. It's kind of a comedic scene. These animal skins on your arms and on your hands, because remember it said Esau was a hairy man. He, he had lots of hair on his body. Jacob did not. And he, she takes Esau's clothes, because evidently they had a smell in them that, he, that Isaac would recognize. And so she brings Jacob. She has Jacob go and tell Isaac that he's Esau. <laughs> And he gives the blessing to him. And when Esau comes in and realizes that his brother has tricked him yet again, taken his blessing from him, he, he just weeps. It's a really sad scene. He just weeps and cries. And he says, Father, don't you have more than one blessing? Can't you bless me too? And Isaac just says, you know, I did what I did. It was kind of like a prophetic thing. The Spirit of God moved him. But then the Scripture says at that point, Esau determined in his heart that he would kill his brother. And so this was serious. It was not just a moment of anger. He was waiting until his father died, the scripture says, that he would kill his brother. Now, like I say, the ironic thing is, Isaac thinks he's dying, but he lives another 80 years. He's, he's not anywhere near death. But at this point, Rebecca knows this is danger. So she goes to her favorite, Jacob, and she says, okay, you got you to run. You got to split. Your brother's going to kill you. Go to my brother. Go to Laban, my brother, in Haran. Stay there until your, your brother cools off because he's definitely out to kill you. So that's where we pick up this next scripture. This is now Jacob is running for his life to Haran. On the way, God, in his mercy, though he's been so deceitful, such a rascal, he didn't have to do any of these things to his brother. God still is with him. He had a dream. He was in a place that he eventually names Bethel because the place he believed was the place of the, the gate to heaven. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Man, that would make a really good name for a song, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, somebody should make a song he he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with his top reaching to heaven and the angels of god were ascending and descending and he, and he literally says later on in the scripture he says i didn't know i was laying here asleep at the very portal the very gate of heaven it goes on another passage genesis 28 20 then jacob now now this is jacob still He's a con. He wants, he wants to take and use everybody and everything. Life to Jacob is all about, I'm going to take what I want, and I'm going to use who I can. That's what he's all about. So he's even going to try to do this with God. Listen to his prayer. Listen to how tainted the prayer really is. Then Jacob made a vow saying, and he's talking to God. He says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then, then, condition God's got to fulfill, then the Lord will, what? 
be my God. The Lord's God, his God, my God, everybody's God, whether we recognize it or accept it or not. But Jacob is trying to con God. He's, he's all about taking. He's all about using everyone and everything. He doesn't really trust God in the pure way. He's trying to con God, work a deal with God. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you what? A tenth. So, so he, he's kind of, you can picture Jacob kind of doing one of these. I'll tell you what, God. You keep pouring the blessings on me. You bless me, prosper, prosper me financially. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going I'm to give you a tenth of everything you give me. He's trying to con God. Now, we know elsewhere in Scripture, Scripture does tell those that are the followers of God, those who are trusting God, to, to give um, what God gives to us, to give the, t- the tithe, the tenth of the first part. But he's working a deal before this ever became uh, something that God offered for the Israelites to participate in. This is way before they were a nation. So what I want you to see is that Jacob is in a place in life, and, and now for the shocker, so he's running for his life now. He's going to his, his mom's brother's house. And his age, this is the question. How long? How long has he been in this mode where life is all about me getting what I want, using who I can? I want, it's all about me. I'm going to get life. And I'm, Do you maybe know some people like this? I'm going to get life. I'm going to get everybody I meet. And I'm going to wring out of them all that I can. I'm going to ask the question of everyone that I meet and every situation, what can you do for me? What am I going to get out of this? That was Jacob, his first 71 years. Jacob was one that was totally devoted to his own self-preservation, first and foremost, and secondly, his own self-gratification. And by the way, every human being that can't answer that first question we talked about, what's your purpose in life? And we cannot know our purpose in life apart from the creator of all life. Until we know our purpose, our God-given purpose in life, the default philosophy, the default governing philosophy of every human being that you and I will ever meet is just what I described to you. It's a philosophy of desperation, self-preservation first. I know I'm here and I know I'm alive and I know I want to stay alive as long as I can, but I know that I'm also vulnerable. Nevertheless, self-preservation would be number one. Number two, self-gratification pleasure i find in this journey that some things bring me joy pleasure some things bring me pain so what i'm going to do is avoid the painful things as much as i can and try to bring into my life the pleasurable things the enjoyable things as much as i can that is the default philosophy of every human being who does not know the purpose the god-given purpose of their life it's just default we just automatically go into it it's it's a cycle of desperation that's why we have these things you know the bucket list i'm going to try to get all these experiences in this life i got to squeeze them in in this life because this life is all the person knows for sure that they have they only know that they have the next second the next hour the next day and they become takers and users it's not conscious all the time (laughs) for some it's very conscious but it's that default philosophy, governing philosophy. Now, I just want to ask you, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you can remember when the truth be told, that was me. 
I, I, just, I just live to take. I just live to use. I, I, I said it in innocuous words, things like, oh, I just want to be happy. But the truth is, is I was ultimately all, all completely selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed and really didn't care much about anyone or anything except to the degree that it contributed to me, my happiness, my prosperity. Maybe, maybe some of you can remember that season in your life second question this is harder truth be told that's exactly where some of us are at today uh, we, we, we don't really want to think about it we don't want to believe it we, we've had some people tell us this in various ways but, but it's kind of insulting it's kind of hurtful we, we just resist it we fight against it we've got reasons we've got excuses we, we've got explanations but the truth maybe the spirit of God is saying will you just be still for a moment and let me lovingly God loves us even in that selfish condition. He was still with Jacob. He was showing supernatural affirmation to Jacob even though Jacob was trying to run a con even on God. I had a guy years ago. He literally did this. He, he bought, he bought a, a, a ticket. What would he call them? The, 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 the big where you can win millions of dollars. Uh, lottery, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he bought a lottery ticket. And he got a bunch of other people, and they laid it in the center of, of the bed in his bedroom. <laughs> and he had them all get down on their knees, and they, they prayed around the lottery ticket that if God let them hit the lottery, he was going to make sure that he got it, gave a tenth of it back to the work of the Lord. Didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> Didn't work. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever tried that one on God, but it's kind of like what Jacob did. But that question, you see, here's what, what happened in between. You see, Jacob, by trying to take everything that he could for himself and use everyone, including his brother, he ended up losing everything. He had to run. He had to leave his home. He has to go into a foreign land. He will be in that foreign land for 20 years, and boy, will he learn some things about life over the next 20 years. Listen, some of you got to hear this. God's making you uncomfortable because you know in your heart of hearts you're in that stage right now where it's still I'm taking and I'm using I call it other things but the truth be told it's all about myself my desires and I still think I can get what I want you won't it's impossible it's not the way life works it's not the way God wired us we're made in the image of God we are made to be a different kind of a being, not takers and users. Well, let, let's go to see the second stage of Jacob's journey, his developmental journey. He didn't start off very well. James 3.16 reminds us of the danger of being self-absorbed in our approach to life where you have envy and selfish ambition. It's all about me. It's all about my goals. It's all about my dreams. It's all about my desires. There you find disorder. Jacob had plenty of disorder. He had to run for his life. His own brother was going to kill him. Everything he thought he was winning and taking, he ends up losing. And every, what does it say? Evil prayer. You see, when self, when I make myself and my desires the center of my life, it will produce all kinds of other destructive practices 
which God calls sin. It's inevitable. It's just the way it works. When I, I am a being that is created to have Christ as the center of my life. My creator is meant to be the center of my life. When he's the center of my life, my character is progressively purified. I learn how to love God's way, live God's way. But when I make myself the center of my life, and by the way, we can make ourselves the center of our life without knowing it. How many of you know people that they are so utterly self-absorbed that it almost gags you to interact with them but they are clueless about it how many know some people like that? don't look at them now don't look at them <laughs> and I've been and probably to various degrees still am because this developmental journey is a purification process always pulling us toward God and his way of living and loving and away from selfishness which is our default mechanism so anyway, let's go on to the second part of this journey. From taker, no, 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 excuse me, go, go back. From taker and user to taken and used. Pause there for a minute, Sarah. We're going to see that Jacob on his journey, and he's 71 years old. We, we get the impression when we read this chapter where, you know, he, he meets up finally with um, Laban, his uncle, and uh, Laban's daughter we get the impression that he's this young strapping young man (laughs) he's not he is 70 I just turned 71 last week he is my age when he ends up in Padan Aram where where his where his uncle lives now he lives to be 147 so technically speaking he was just kind of you know halfway in life but uh He's not this young strapping fellow that ends up here in the place. So, so if you read the early chapters in Genesis where he gets there, you know, in chapter Genesis 28, um, there's this well, and all these shepherds are waiting around for the well to be opened. There's this huge heavy rock on, on the, the mouth of the well. And so uh, Rachel, he doesn't know it, but it's Laban, his mom's brother's daughter. She comes, she's a shepherdess, and when he sees her, uh, you, you read the rest of the passage evidently she was quite a head turner he wants to go and be noble so he unstops the well rolls this big huge stone away and gives water and then he realizes who she is and he immediately he kisses her and they weep and she takes him back to meet uh, her dad his, his uncle and that's when everything starts to change for Mr. Jacob Listen, look at this one verse Genesis 20 19. Jacob was in, what does it say? In love with Rachel. And said, he's talking to his uncle Laban now. He says, I'll work for you. I'll, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. You could just, now, mind you, he's 71. What's he been doing back home? Has the man never gone on a date? I mean, what is the deal? So, he's 71. He sees Rachel. Scripture's very honest. It says she's very attractive. He falls stupid, blind, head over heels in love with her. And he goes to her father and says, look, I I will work. Because that was kind of the customary thing to do. He says, I don't have any money. I can't put up some money. But I will work seven years. And Laban says, of course, that you're part of my family we'll do that that's great now here's what happens some of you know the story so the seven years goes by and it says that that Jacob loved Rachel so much it seemed like it said seven years went by as just a minute in time and so it's his wedding night 
And of course, it's dark there. They don't have any street lights or anything. It's back in ancient time. There was no electricity. So he goes into the tent for his wedding night. And he has his wedding night with his brand new wife in the tent. But when he gets up the next day in the morning, he looks at his wife. And it's like, you're not Rachel. You're Leah. Leah was the older sister, the firstborn. And so he goes running to Laban. Laban, what, what have you done, man? What have you done? I work for Rachel. You give me your daughter Leah. What is going on? He was not so attracted to Leah. Scripture says there's something about her eyes. I don't know, the weak eyes or whatever that means. It's hard to tell. <laughs> Laban says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's our custom here. We, uh, we don't marry off the young one first. We, uh, we marry off the older one first. He says, however, however, if you're interested we can work something out how about another seven years you work for me and Jacob is like whatever of course I will he works another seven years now now Laban was kind after one week they had a marital week in those days that he was with Leah then he was given Rachel so now he had Rachel and Leah two wives so right away He's learning a tough lesson. He's, he, he, he didn't understand the pain that he brought to people when he used people and when he took from people, when his whole life was about himself and what he could get out of everybody else. He never thought about the pain. He had no capacity to understand the pain that he maybe was bringing to the lives of other people, but he was going to learn. <laughs> and Uncle Laban was just the man to teach him. He was going to learn how wrong it is to be a taker and a user. And how much pain and confusion and hurt and broken heart, broken heartedness it can bring to others. So this was this stage. Let, let me go on to another passage. Now, this fast forwards, this shows you how bad Laban works him over. This is at the end. He has now been told by God, leave Laban, get away, go back to your home which, of course, meant facing his brother who wanted to kill him. But look at the timetable here. It was like this for how many years? 20 years. I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks. And you changed my wages how many times? The flocks thing is hilarious. Uh, he makes a deal with Laban he says look you know I've been here 14 years working for your daughters and how about this you you give me whatever part of the sheep herd you want if you if you want me to take the spotted sheep I'll take the spotted sheep if you want me to take the plain sheep I'll take the plain sheep well, what happens every time he takes one if he takes the spotted the spotted multiply like crazy Laban says uh -uh, no we're not doing that you you take the plain sheep he goes to the plain sheep well now the plain sheep multiply because God is blessing him how many of you ever had experience? You usually don't know it when it happens, but you usually are given the ability to look back and see it. You were blessed by God, even though you in no way, shape, or form deserved it at all, but you look back, and God was disproportionately for you, protecting you, blessing you, and you were, you were doing everything to sort of contradict the way he wanted your life to go but in spite of it all he kept I want to ask you to raise your hands on that because I know that experience too 
God, God is just good. He's good beyond our, our ability to comprehend. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. Now, this is when he's going back home, okay? It's been 20 years. 20 years he has experienced what it's like to have someone else take from him and use him, and it changes him. Now, there's two things in this, in this portion of his life that are critical to understand. The first thing that changed Jacob from being a taker and a user was when he fell in love. I don't know why he didn't fall in love for the first 71 years. I have no idea. But when he fell in love, his selfishness was starting to be broken down. He started to care about somebody beyond them just being an object for himself. And then, of course, if you read on in the passages, he, he has children. He has quite, quite a few children. He ends up having 12 before all is said and done. And when you start adding others that you are going to care for, it pulls you out of your selfishness. How many of you here have children? When you had your children, did your life change forever? <laughs> Did it, did, it, did it pull you away from the time for yourself? and things? For yourself? It, it, it just does. It just helps us to break the cycle of ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be single and be unselfish. I know some single people that are way, 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 way more unselfish and loving and giving than those that are married with umpteen kids. I'm just saying God involves other people in our lives to help us break this cycle of selfishness that we all tend toward. So now he's going home, but going home means he's got to face Esau. Esau's a bad, rough, tough guy, and he wants to kill him. And so he has leading from God. It's okay to go home, but he's still scared. And in Genesis 32, and you can read it sometime here, he prays well, the, the first pure prayer that I hear from Jacob. He says, God, in essence, it goes like this. He says, I'm desperate. I've got nothing. If Esau wants me, he's got me. I have nothing. I've got all these kids and flocks. I'm just a sitting duck. God, I'm begging you, please, for the sake of the children and the, the women, please, God, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. And his answer to the prayer is, so he sends, he, he kind of keeps his, his wives and his children behind and his flocks, and he goes ahead, crosses a river, and he's ready to face his brother Esau. But as he's trying to get a night's sleep, someone comes, a man comes, wakes him up in the middle of the night and starts fighting with him, wrestling with him. I kid you not, read it on your own. And, and this guy won't let him go. And then Jacob gets ticked off and he won't let the guy go. And they're fighting like crazy. And they're fighting until the very break of sunup. And Jacob won't let this guy go. Now he's determined. And he realizes this isn't just a human this is more than a human. And he realizes, indeed, he's been battling the entire night with God. He had been battling with God the entirety of his life. He just never really thought about it. Maybe it's just possible that some of us in here, the truth be told, we've been battling with God for most of our life. We don't like the way he wants us to do certain things in our life. And we have been pushing back and fighting and wrestling. And finally, in this battle, the, the being, which we find out is God himself, dislocates his hip socket. And um, I, su I, I suppose he went around with a limp for the rest of his life, but he knew that it was the limp that God gave him, and that's a good thing. Jacob needed to recognize his weakness, his brokenness, before God could start this dynamic change process in him. When he breaks... 
And he says, will you just bless me? He got to a place in his life where he knew that he needed the blessing of God and he wanted the blessing of God more than anything else. Then God says, okay, and now I'm gonna change your name. Your name is not gonna be Jacob anymore. Your name is now Israel. The promise goes back to Abraham. I'm gonna make you a great nation, Abraham. You're gonna be a blessing to the whole world. Israel, Israel, the 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Your name is Israel. What does Israel mean? Well, there's all kinds of term you know all kind of thoughts about what what Israel means when you look at it in Hebrew it's actually it's kind of more of a sentence than one word and essentially what it means if you break it down is the one who turns the head of God in other words the one that God says I'm I'm watching you I hear you I hear you when you pray I'm for you some have said well it means prince with God some it means once it struggles with God yeah, it's three different Hebrew words put them together it's a little difficult even for the, the great scholars to put together but essentially that's it he changes his name when you and I come to that season where we start to know the pain that we have brought to others and all of a sudden we want the blessing of God God can really start to change who we are and that puts us into this this next passage the, the man said your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel it wasn't a man it turns out it, it was a, a Christophany it was Christ pre-incarnate some you know uh, 1800 years before he came to this earth as Jesus of Nazareth because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome so Jacob called the place Peniel saying it's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared so if you know the scene he goes and he faces up with Esau and I got to imagine he's scared to death but Esau is just a good old guy he didn't have much of a heart for God but he was basically a good old guy I'm just curious how many of you know people like that truth be told they don't have much interest in God but they're just good old guys I mean they wouldn't hurt anybody Esau hugs him and weeps and kisses him and is just thrilled at his family and everything and, and wants to do no harm 20 years have changed Esau too now let's go to this next section Psalm 142 Jacob came to realize you can't get everyone and everything to do what you want when you want it how you want it and you end up alone 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 apart from God you come into this life I came in this life alone and we're going to leave this life alone there may be people around you and I but nobody can get inside except for God look and see there is no one at my right hand no one is concerned for me I have no refuge no one cares for my life Jacob learned God ultimately was his only refuge let's go on now to the third episode of his life from taken and used Laban took him and used him to giver and servant Jacob is never the same when he goes back home now he is the ultimate family guy he loves his family he loves his kids he has Joseph in his old age and he loves Joseph too much he, in Genesis 37 it says he, he favored him so much that the rest of the, the brothers became jealous and they hated Joseph because the father favored him did any of you come from families where parental favoritism was obvious is that too, too difficult to say, raise a hand to? How, how many came from families like that? We're, okay. And I'm betting, I'm betting it made you angry, it caused you pain, and it might still bother you to this day. This is for the rest of us to hear how critical it is for parents to be equal 
in their distribution and expression of affection for their kids. Anyway, from taken and used, here we go back to, um, if, I, if I could just slip back to that chair one more time. Um, from taken and used to giver and servant. Now, now, giver and servant is who we were designed to be. God, Christ, is the greatest giver and servant in the universe. And that, that earlier question about, you know, am I the one to succeed or, or am I the one chosen most likely to succeed? Well, success for, success for a human being is when I start to become a giver like God and a servant like God. That's how you and I should measure success. Not by how much we have in the bank, not by how much property we have, not by how much prestige we have, not by how many records we've set. None of those things mean anything. It's this, am I ever becoming more like God in that I'm a giver and a servant? I, I don't walk through life saying, what can you do for me? But I walk through life saying, what can I do for you? I don't walk through life saying, what are you gonna give me? How can I use you? I, I, I say, what can I give you? What can I do for you? Folks, some of you know there's a tremendous blessing when you get to the place in life where you frankly don't need anything from anybody anymore. You, 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 you desire to give something to everybody you encounter and you joyfully like to contribute, but frankly, you don't need anything back. If you get it, it's cool. It's, it's wonderful. It's icing on the cake. That's a stage of development. Jacob starts to move into that stage and he's there for a long, long time. Now, let me go to that, that verse here we pick up his story now God is telling Jacob to go to Egypt now you know this was a whole different turn of events why because there was famine in the land he thinks his son his beloved son his favorite son Joseph is dead but Joseph isn't dead his brother sold him into slavery 22 years earlier and now Jacob has found out that his son Joseph is alive and he's not only alive he's running he's running Egypt and he has food and so God is telling Jacob go ahead go ahead to Egypt and this is what we read here I'm the God the God of your father he said do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation there and I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back again and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. He's telling Jacob, he said, you're going to die in Egypt. And your son Joseph, he's there. He's alive. He'll close your eyes. Now, remember the promise to Abraham was he's going to make you a great nation. But a great nation, you need people. It's in Egypt over less than 400 years, but a long period of time that they multiply, they grow, and they indeed become a nation. But it all started with Jacob willing to go down into Egypt let me close out his life next verse Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years and the years of his life were 147 and his life ends folks do you recognize that as we sit here today for some of us this is just church service I understand that but for some of us this could be a great awakening the God that causes everything to function in this universe that sustains everything he is here he is present he is writing your story your story is being written it is going to be preserved it, it will be reconsidered at God's own time and he wants your story and my story to end ultimately like Jacob's story He's not too concerned with how we begin. He's patient. He's loving. He bears with us again and again and again. And he's always trying to move us to becoming who we were meant to become and doing what we were meant to do. 
And it gives us opportunities in places like this to hear the way that he thinks and to feel intensely the way that he feels for us because he wants to motivate us. He wants to move us. He wants to get us out of that, that trench we've maybe dug ourselves into. So let's look at a couple things. Second Corinthians says for us it says see that you also excel in this grace of giving for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich giving is at the heart of the universe the more of a giver the more of a servant that you and I become the more Christ like we are now I want to share a few things with you as I close these are the life changes we observed in Jacob and they are pretty typical for most of us stage one I'll take from and use everyone and everything from myself if you're there don't be ashamed it's a stage most of us go through I'm a taker and a user stage two we learn the lesson I can't take from and use everyone and everything for myself people won't cooperate life won't cooperate it doesn't work I'll end up like Jacob running for my life in some kind of a way it won't work it breaks down I can't make it work I can't make like work like can't make life work for me or others work for me and then stage three hopefully we all are in I will give to and serve everyone and everything not for me for God and for good I'm going to go through my life not looking to take not looking to use I'm going to go through my life looking to give and to serve because God that's how he is the creator the sustainer of the universe and that's what is truly good and I'm now committed to that it's it's won me over and I'm hoping that you'll say that's won you over too I, I hope you can kind of look through those stages and locate yourself I'm going to show you this in J Jacob's life his first 71 years was stage one taker and user 20 years it took to break him he was taken and used and he felt the pain of what he brought to others and then his last 56 years he was a giver and a servant right up until the end now I started by doing an ordination for Christine this morning we started out and let me tell you a little bit more about Christine um, she was 34 years old before she ever stepped foot in a church or a worship service and when she did it was a funeral it was a funeral for her aunt and she said that when she was in that funeral service that the pastor whoever it was that was doing the service uh, said in so many words God God is trying to speak to somebody personally this morning in here and Christine said that she knew that it was her that God was trying to speak to she talked about her first 34 years she, she kind of wondered what, what is life all about what's the purpose what's the meaning that there was a kind of a restlessness a kind of a discontent something was missing something was incomplete and she gets it all places to a funeral now the story doesn't end there she found out later on and that was by the way at a funeral for her aunt when she opened her heart to God and started her journey as a Christ follower at a funeral the end of one life the start of a new one but she found out that her aunt had been praying for her for years years prior and so these journeys these developmental journeys 
take a lot of twists and turns and now here she is in the presence of a congregation of people being ordained as, as a care pastor of this church that's what God loves to do that's the kind of story he loves to bring about and that's the kind of story he can will bring about in every one of our lives sure it's going to look different for you than it does Christine or me or it's going to look different Jacob just served his family and that was his calling and his gifting I don't know what your calling and gifting is but I do know one thing I know that your purpose is the same as my purpose to become who God meant me to come and do what God meant me to do here's three questions to close out with what stage are you in now are you still in that taker user stage if you are don't be ashamed but don't stay there you'll lose more than you gain second question how many years have you spent in each of these stages if it's applicable are you in the taker user stage if so how many years have you been there are you in the stage where you're being taken and used and you're learning that you brought a lot of pain to people and now it's being brought to you so that you can hate that lifestyle forever or are you still in that stage and if so how long you've been there and then finally this there should be one more what step might you take today that would move you to another level if you take that pattern of these three stages and I think they're, they're pretty common what, what step could you take today what decision could you make that would start you on a different level from taker to user to being taken and used maybe you learn your lesson or maybe to giver and servant for some of you it would mean that for the first time in your life you got to stop just being a religious person and you got to really put your trust in Christ and become his fully devoted follower that's what it means to be a Christian nothing less than that is being a Christian nothing less than that is being what we call saved it is when I trust Christ more than I trust myself and because I trust him more than I trust myself I want to follow him fully I want to follow him freely and I want to follow him forever that's when I am born again that's when new life comes into me that's when my name is written in heaven that's when I become a Christian when I become a Christ follower and some of you some of you you're confused about this and you've got religious ideas and religious sentiments but you've never really become a follower of Christ he doesn't have your trust and your decision today would be to do what I did at age 23 and say I don't really care what anybody else does I am going to follow Jesus he's worthy of my trust he created this universe and he died on a cross for me he loves me more than I could ever imagine. I'm going to follow him forevermore. For some of you, that's the step that will change your level. But for others of us, maybe you can identify what stage you're in. How long have you been there? And what could you do today? Don't waste this time. Today, this moment is the time we have. It's now that the Spirit of God is causing us to think sanely. Don't lose the opportunity through pride. What would God have you to do that might move you to another level let's pray father we thank you that you preserve these records of the lives of others that you work patiently and kindly and and gently in and they give us confidence and they give us hope we know that you're working out a process in all of us that are willing to trust you uh, may your good spirit move us help us to move this day 
that we can join you in this beautiful journey to become the Christ-like human beings you've always intended us to be. I ask it in the name that is above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.